Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 117. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature this week is going to be Three Women, the Robert Altman film from 1977 and All About Women, the Choi Hark film from 2008. Now, JT, I, you know, <laughs> look, I, I get it. You like girls. You know, you I love the women. Whole world. He's on that like groan shit. That girls. groan shit. Look, he's on his groan shit. Look, I was, <laughs> I, I was gently ribbed and roasted by the boys for presenting this at the end of last week's episode, and that's fair from a feminist I'm, perspective. I, I'm fine with, and I mean, especially yeah, because these are not films by women, but I think really uh, the true judge of a man's character is by how he treats women. Wow. And uh, we we talk a lot about our favorite directors, um, mostly male. Um, and it's like, how? Do, what are these, like, sure they make great movies, but... Uh, <laughs> well, they're our favorite directors, so I would hope they yeah. make great movies. <laughs> but, yeah, like, what, what about their... What, the bare minimum. What about their character? But what about how do they treat women? How do they treat women? I've and been thinking I, about that, too. <laughs> and, it's been on my mind. And... I, Robert Altman's Three Women was the was the main choice here that I had. Um, oh no, wait! Actually, it was Choi Hark's All About Women because I had that one like downloaded and ready. And then <laughs> I uh, is this the hard drive? What's next on the hard drive? Is usually, that, I mean, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's a it's a way to pick. But um, Three Women uh, was an Altman that I started uh, when I was a young man, and I was scared then. It was a weird, like, confusing. It's three women too. You're like, that's that's a lot more Where's women than I'm usually woman? usually seeing. Um, and so it, it was a, a big Altman that I'd put off for a while, and I figured, what better way to ease into it to assuage my fears than to <laughs> tackle three women with three men? That's true. It's even. It's even. <laughs> yeah, it's an even I fight. Be on the record, saying that I do not want to tackle these women, and I do not want to assuage anything of JT. Assuage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Niles' ass vocabulary over here. So, three women. It was based on a series of dreams and a fifty-page treatment rather than a script. Uh, and, you know, it's a kind of strange entry in Robert Altman's very idiosyncratic and masterful run of films in the 70s. Um, the large ensembles and the major American cities and genre traditions are kind of traded in for this Palm Springs two-hander floating between, like, drama, suspense, and kind of weird art house stuff. Wikipedia calls it an avant-garde drama, which is, come on. <laughs> That's sick. It's also like a kind of flat mono soundtrack. Like I, after the crazy experiments in stereo, like eight channel stereo or whatever for California Split, uh, which I found very strange, but you know, it kind of works toward a point of, I don't know, I don't even want to call it claustrophobia because it's like slightly claustrophobic, but contrasted with these wide open Palm Springs spaces. Uh, it, it's a very unique film. 
And uh, of course, through like tone and visual language and that uniquely dank feeling of watching a 70s Robert Altman movie, it all kind of still just feels right, despite everything weird about it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's trying to be weird, right? That is true. <laughs> Keep women weird, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Some like Altman comedy is in here, too. Like, I think, especially in the first segment, it really makes me laugh how much like Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek are just being completely ignored by everyone <laughs> around them. Like the scene where uh, Duvall is like, she goes across the street from where she works at to the hospital to like hang out with all the doctors and just like get their attention and they're not <laughs> having it. That's a very funny aspect of this movie. And it kind of, it took me a second to pick up like not too f- it didn't take me too long, but like <laughs> just long just, enough. Well, just like, you know, cause Sissy Spacek of course comes off as kind of the strange one at first, you know, by design. And then as the movie, you know, trudges along as they start hanging out more, it's like, Oh yeah, no one likes Shelley Duvall like either. Yeah. And it's a very like, I don't know. It's, I mean, I think it, of course that influences, you know, the series of events that happen next in the movie, but like, it's, that's such a funny kind of like foundation and realization to kind of like vamp up the movie is like you know you're kind of admiring this you know one girl you wanted to be just like this girl you know what i mean she <laughs> has she has her own apartment she has recipes and stuff like that that she loves reciting and you know very exact you know with the you know the names and whatnot very specific color scheme true yeah, yeah. but she she you know she has it uh you know to sissy spacek you know who you know just kind of um, just is in kind of a, a lonely room, you know, it seems like she has it all together. Like she sees some guys by the pool when she walks up, you know, to her apartment, you know, not bad, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out, you know, uh, she's kind of living a farce too. No one really likes her. If you don't know what happens in the film, um, Sissy Spacek, who plays Pinky, starts a new job at this like geriatric rehab spa trained by Shelley Duvall, Millie. Uh, the two end up moving in together and Pinky becomes, you know, interested, as you said, in imitating uh, Shelley Duvall's mannerisms and just the way she kind of lives as an adult, uh, despite the fact that Shelley Duvall's life as an adult is quite pathetic and just a social failure, like a disgrace. Like everyone thinks she just sucks like her. It, it, I don't really, I almost don't get it. Like, I know that she's, like, annoying, but, like, <laughs> the, the way that guys at the apartment treat her is insane. Like she's not like, cool. Yeah, I think maybe like that's passing it. her around, and they're like, well, you're the one who went on a date with her. <laughs> As if she's just, the, like, this disgusting woman. <laughs> no, Shelley yeah. Duvall in the 70s, folks. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, I think they're being, you know, maybe a bit unfair to her, but, you know, to take, you know, to myself as you know a character in the movie you know it is like she does seem kind of like out of place like her priorities and like what just the way she talks like it does seem like there's something very off you know obviously there's something very off about it but it's just like i you know i kind of i kind of get where they're coming from of course you know i think you know they might be too cool for school too and she's like talking about recipes she's really about you know she's kind of like a housewife without a, a husband you know what i mean yeah so I don't know. She's out of step. She likes her tuna salad. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, for me, like, I mean, the tuna salad, I feel like is a good hopping off uh, point for what I want to talk about next. I like think it's uh, like it's weird. It was weird to me to parse this out with like 
Altman's concerns for like Americana. I mean, it's definitely there, but I feel like it's less like surface level than like, I don't know, something like Nashville, obviously. And this just has like a bunch of, I don't know, the weird Americana like comes together in a way that I think is like uniquely unsettling where it's like Shelley Duvall is like, Uh, this weird wannabe house like 50s housewife that no one wants who just like hangs out in this uh western empty uh like empty fucking bar with that like kind of impotent uh Wyatt Earp like was he like a stand-in or stunt stunt double double, stunt double that dude rules (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah the third woman is Willie and her and Edgar run this uh, like cop bar slash western themed bar with a mini putt course, a gun range, and a dirt bike track. And they also own an, an apartment. Complex, yeah, they also right? are the yeah. landlords who own the the apartment that uh, uh, Millie and Pinky move into together. And yeah, the the character of Edgar kind of predating the the Cliff Booth model of the the kind of washed out stuntman uh, at the tail end of Hollywood. Who I don't know that kind of character is just very goofy and fun to me. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, with the kind of like the unsettling tone of this movie. Like the way, I, you know, originally never seeing this movie, I always thought like it had like a horror element to it. And like it, it almost does. Yeah, it, it kind of like the, the music and the yeah. way it's set up makes you think it's good. Like it has suspense to it, but I think it's just like the yeah. way he really wants to vamp up that kind of like psychological drama rather than any actual horror. You know, every character seems to be like, do you have like the twins and like everyone just seems like a bit off and like, yeah, this kind of like this wannabe cowboy is like just kind of like just drunk and goofy to it all. And having, you know, a lot of success in this world, I guess, you know, he is having fun with his pals. He's dirt biking around and, you know, shooting guns on the range. I love the the fact that the first time Shelly Duvall takes her to, you know, her big spot, her big, you know, you know, cop bar that she always hangs at. It's just like, ah, oh, they're all dirt biking out back. We can't, uh, <laughs> I guess we can't hang out with them. It's kind of, it's such a very anticlimactic thing to a thing that you know you didn't even really care to see the climax to and in like edgar kind of feeling like uniquely out of time and out of place when pinky's parents come onto the scene and they're like (laughs) depression era hayseeds (laughs) it's just so fucking funny they're like fucking a hundred years old they must have fucked when they were like 70 to have sissy spacek in this movie uh yeah the reason they need to come is so basically a, a couple more plot mechanics happen as we say it's or as we said, uh, it's you know it was just based on a treatment, and he kind of fleshed out the script as they were shooting. A lot of improv. Shelley Duvall apparently contributed a lot of the production design related to her character. She like designed that apartment with the production designer and uh, hand wrote all of the diary entries and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, so. Uh, the the tensions kind of rise between the main two girls as they're living together, as they should, because they're both such fucking weirdos. And uh, uh, Willie, the third woman, you know, she she's pregnant, and Shelley Duvall hooks up with her husband, the ex stuntman uh, Edgar, and Pinky reacts to it after like trying to get her to stop. You know, Shelley Duvall yells at her, so Sissy Spacek just walks to just the second floor and tries to commit suicide uh, by doing that, which is like no higher than a high dive. Like, but uh, the way she comes down in the pool and hits her head puts her in a coma where Shelly Duvall kind of, uh, you know, has a change of heart after being very annoyed with her. And that's when the kind of, uh, you know, persona inspired character, uh, 
swap really starts to begin. Yeah, and like it is like this this kind of like what triggers this event is like I guess it's just it is just kind of these characters both being weird, but yeah, like this attempted suicide transitions into like them, you know, questioning their identities. I mean, I guess it's, you know, they do live in such close quarters, you know, sharing a room and whatnot, you know. And uh, yeah, it's just I, I guess like the way like Altman kind of paces this film, even though it does kind of have like its plot mechanics, it feels like so direct in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there's something very just I don't know. It it is just very, like a bullet. Like you know, it's just it's just straight like that. I, I I don't really know how to describe it. But you know, even more so than his other films, which kind of have like a different quality to them. You know, they feel kind of like all encompassing or you know, kind of like very sporadic or whatever. With, you know like sound design you know with very specific elements trying to get that where this feels very you know kind of personal direct and like a way i haven't really seen him make a movie before i don't know yeah i mean when you said it's kind of like horror it, it like or it seemed like horror it has the signposts of a horror movie at least it has the the similar elements that he did in stuff like a cold day at the park uh is that what it's called uh the like one of the first features that he did and stuff like images which are yeah kind of like psychological horror movies that don't really have any real horror in them but they're very suspenseful and this one just takes that you know very as we said persona uh and just like general kind of art house feeling to it and it also, yeah, the sparsity of it, I think, lets things just sit for longer than they usually do in his movies. He has long scenes, but there's always so much happening in the mise-en-scene and in the soundtrack as well. And this one just feels so much more sparse that, yeah, there, there's no choice but to, as you said, Malcolm, uh, be direct with what's happening between Sissy Spacek and uh, Shelley Duvall's characters. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, I feel like this is a little bit of a reductive way to put it, but it's like a 70s Altman if you just pulled out most of the characters. And I feel like there's a weird, like, empty quality there. I I really like it, though, because it forces you to focus more selectively on, like, character psychology, which isn't something he usually gets into that much. Like, his characters are, you know, pieces of a mosaic, generally. Mm -hmm. Even films that are led by a lead, like The Long Goodbye, you know, there's so much more in in terms of, like, the mythos of the Marlowe character and what he's doing with film noir and stuff like that. Uh, This one is kind of just these characters in this crazy psychological scenario where... Yeah, Sissy Spacek is like an adolescent basically until she goes into a coma and then wakes up and has clearly uh, gone through puberty (laughs) in a coma. And then Shelley Duvall kind of after that traumatic event kind of regresses a bit into that kind of meek role that uh, Spacek had before. And then, of course, there's the, the childbirth scene, which is just horrific you know it's like the opposite of dr t and the women (laughs) very true yeah it it all builds to just this insane scene where shelly duvall is helping willie give birth after uh her husband edgar just like stumbles into the apartment and tries to fuck both of them i guess drunk uh and she sends sissy spacek to get a uh a like a doctor and she just stands there watching in horror as like it's a stillborn birth and it's like just horrifying there was this nightmare scene before that had all these like super overexposed what the fuck is this dude (laughs) someone accidentally i i'm not having some other fucking streamer on my podcast podcast wars (laughs) anyway who the fuck is this clown (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> a fucking YouTube guy, I guess. Uh, but the, the the nightmare scene before it, which is just like insane, ultra grainy, uh, you know, double or triple exposures of these crazy mural paintings with the most kind of strange imagery that we've seen uh, so far in the movie. The mural paintings that uh, Willie does, by the way. And that kind of feeling just translates to the next scene where it's just Sissy Spacek watching this attempted childbirth, I guess. And it's it's pretty fucking horrific. Yeah, and, you know, I guess... I mean, that's the horror scene, I guess. That's yeah. literally, that's what I was about to say. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the horror scene, it, which is, it is, yeah, it is very stark, and it's, I don't know, yeah, it is like there's, I guess with, you know, kind of SpaceX coming out of her shell, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's grown now or whatever, and it, it is just kind of, like, interesting that it all just kind of coalesces to this, that, like, you know, I guess Will, the third woman, you know, on the perimeter, you know, you would have thought this movie... Should have been called Two Women by the you know the way it was going before, but uh, and then the the result of that them just kind of you know living in harmony together and you know is that is that like Altman's kind of pro pro woman message I guess I don't I don't know is it's, it a proto Doctor T loving women I mean I think like he does like while he like pokes fun at like uh, both like Duval and Pinky like it's clearly like a sad and like pathetic yes. portrait of yeah. them where he does like have a lot of sympathy to them and like foregrounds these women here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as much as it's easy for the audience to laugh at how much of a loser each of these characters are, <laughs> including the couple that run the hotels. Well, I wouldn't call the pregnant wife a loser. <laughs> in a just bad all situation. Kind of like forgotten, she like, is in a bad situation. She's the only character who's just like, oh, God. That's true. She's, she's just, just having a bad, a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the worst time, I guess. I love the the way Shelley Duvall talks about her old, uh, her old roommate, uh, like, She's just like, yeah, the pullout bed. Yeah, I used to have to sleep in that a lot before my old roommate moved in with her boyfriend. <laughs> you know what? Just random scene, you know, I was talking about and like, uh, you know, kind of at the beginning of the movie that kind of, I don't know, reveals kind of an already, you could already kind of feel this, but it kind of puts it all on the table. You know, the fact that they share a room together and Shelley Duvall has like this diary, which becomes like a big thing. You know, Sissy Spacek's reading her diary and she has to hide her diary when she comes home and stuff like that. But the best best use of the diary is when like, you know, Sissy first moves in and Shelley Duvall is just like, you know, moved in with, you know, Sissy, you know, pretty, pretty fucking weird girl, but probably better than some old bitch, you know, <laughs> so better than some fat nurse. Yes. Better some fat old nurse. So, you know, whatever. I guess she's all right. You know what I mean? And, and like, the way Altman, you know, kind of presents this is like uh, you hear her or, you know, a voiceover of her writing that down is like Sissy Spacek. It's almost as if she could, you know, feel what she's writing down in a sense or you, you feel the tension of what she's writing down. And uh, I don't know. It is it is it is very once you step back, you can kind of realize the, you know, you know, the humor in it and just kind of how funny it is. Like what, you know, if it kind of continued that down that dynamic, that would just be funny, too. You know, just. I also like the first 30 minutes of it almost feels more like normal or normal uh, the like other kind of ensemble ish Altman movies when it's just 
uh, you know, as we say, the milieu investigations, <laughs> like all those movies are, they're just so attached to their settings. And this one, it seemed like it was like going to be more about like that geriatric hospital and True. like the procedures of like the, you know, giving the weird <laughs> baths and stuff. I would and, like that. And you meet like the twins who work there and the lady who's like, yeah, that Chinese lady, she's my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> that Like, I, I love those dynamics and you just get a little bit of that like classic ensemble Altman feeling at the hospital. I think that's a good balance with uh, the way that he kind of transitions into just the crazy tone that builds through the second half of the movie. And I I really like this movie. I, I put it like just a notch below my favorite Altman movies. I'm going to go four and a half bullets on it. I'm going to go four bullets on it. I, you know, I really liked it. I really like it's kind of like almost like kind of a, a consistency of tone, but like a variation of like things, you know, like it'll be kind of funny with its kind of like i don't know just upsetting portrayal of pathetic woman or whatever and uh um and yeah i don't i i i it, it's it feels like i don't know this movie's very weird for back lack of a better term than like i don't know than i even could have really thought it really just kind of goes a lot of different places and like I don't know the cinematography, you know, it is like, you know, identity mirror stuff, you know, you think that could be a little bit hack on the surface, just reading it. But the way, I don't know, you know, Altman and the cinematographer shoot it. It's just, uh, they just really have that down pat and it's just, it's just so, it's just so good to look at. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's matched with that kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, dark tone. So yeah, great, great work, Altman. There, there's quite think? a few moments in the first like 45 minutes or so where Duvall and Spacek are just talking to each other through mirrors and yeah. neither of them step out. Like the the mirror trick is never kind of revealed. It's just whole scenes played in long take both off of mirrors kind of. And it's just the, the confusion of it all and like the, the many ways you could read into it. And of course that great set of shots uh while spacex in a coma where i guess the other two women look in through the window and you see their reflection kind of refracted you see two of their reflections uh it's it's just great yeah i'm going uh four bullets as well to get to the main issue at heart of this episode i think it's like I mean, Dr. T and the women we've already covered, but you know that Altman loves and respects women. That's He's true. the ultimate wife guy. He loved, I mean, his wife was kind of the ultimate husband guy because she devoted a lot of time to doing Altman archival work and okay. like uh, uh, was big in that. But I don't know. He loves them dames. You know what? You know, it's it's husband guy, wife guy. It's out the window. Just... Two people love just each love. other. You just throw, love. Just real love, you know? You throw Dr. T in this movie? Oh. <laughs> First of all, everyone's problems are solved. Dr. T would give them an attitude adjustment yeah. for sure. And it would be just like a five-hour vibe movie of them hanging out at the geriatric rehab sure. spa. Dr. T and the three women. Yeah. Duval could be like goofy. Or you just add the three women to the cast of the women. <laughs> Does Altman have a son? We might need to contact him for uh, one <laughs> last... Stephen? Stephen Altman? One last final Altman film. <laughs> Fan, this is like uh, when uh, I went to to college for for movies, and there'd be people like making their thesis like fan films, Star Wars fan films. Oh, jeez, that's a sick way. It's like I'm just gonna do that. <laughs> Doctor T fan film. Doctor T fan film. That fan sounds fan like the classic college experience. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I love Asher Roth. That's what Asher Roth was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good. Oh, we'll be right back. If you have a drink, 
would you please put it in the air? That party last night was awfully crazy. I wish we taped it. I danced my face off and had this one girl completely naked. Drink my drink and smoke my weed. But my good friends is all I need. Pass out. I'm making us some tuna melts for dinner. They're real easy and they only take about 15 minutes to make. I'll tell you how so you can make them yourself in case I'm out on a date or something. First you open all the cans and jars so you'll have them ready when you go to mix them. Then you drain a can of tuna and you dump it into a big mixing bowl. Now you add a tablespoonful of mayonnaise and some salt and pepper and you taste it to make sure it's okay. It's okay. Welcome back to Extended Clip. It's Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. And you know what? I think uh, we may have made some promises. I may have told one or two people that we were going to talk about old in the middle segment next week. But you know what? You're just a bunch of suckers. Sometimes you <laughs> fucking lie. <laughs> we got you. Yeah. Uh, no, we're going to do an episode on old next week. I'm going to go back to the theater. Let me just say old fucking rules. Uh, mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan's a great filmmaker. You know this already if you're listening to this podcast. We're going to do an episode on old next week. Malcolm, you see anything good this week? Yeah, but before that, I, you know, I had this concept, you know, what if there was a restaurant where the waiters tipped you? God damn it. That was an hour ago. I don't want to revisit this. You had, another, you had another point that you didn't okay, get to. Yeah. The waiters tip you at the restaurant, so people are going to come. People are going to come regardless. They're going to come. It's to, free money. They're yeah. going to come get their money. But... Are they like tipping you? Are the waiters supposed to tip you like 15, like 20%? Yeah, if you say like a witty joke or if you <laughs> compliment them heavily. <laughs> or are they giving the money to them separately? Or are they just presenting uh, a check and it says like minus $15 for being such a sweetie? You know, I mean, I think that honestly might be better for the wait staff then because it's like people are going to try and be nicer. So True, they get, yeah, they they get, get tip, a smaller they bill. <laughs> I'm glad that you're thinking about the worker in this scenario and how it affects them. But it's like, I think in my head, it's like the boss, the boss man gives them, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, money to tip with. And then if they really like the the customer, then they could tip more if they want to. Um, Kind of like regular tipping. But, uh... The, the trade-off is that, you know, you know how waiters, this is so stupid. All right. You got to walk this out. Waiters usually sing happy birthday to people when it's their birthday. How about we reverse that? If you go there and it's your birthday, you have to sing and dance. You know, for yourself while people celebrate. Or the waiter. You have to <laughs> for the waiter. Happy birthday to the waiter. No, for yourself. You have to, you go you, you go and you have to sing. I Happy think birthday for really yourself and dance for through yourself. with this concept that you're presenting, the customer would find out the birthday of the wait staff and show up then to serenade them for their special day. But I think the idea is just a money pit and you're out of your mind. Um, so have you watched any movies? Because this is clearly not going to work out as a business podcast. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, it was, hey, we could iron it out. It might be a good idea what you what you thought, so I'll put I'll take that into consideration. Look, I'm always open to collab. <laughs> True. Let's link and build. If someone knows how to make money and we don't have to work, like hit us up, so we could <laughs> do mean, that. We're already doing that. It's just not the the money part. Just isn't quite. But there. like like scamming or like I don't yeah. know crypto I mean, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm all for it. Let's make this money. But uh, one hour with you. What what would I give to get one hour with you? Um. 
the movie, of course, um, from 1932, directed by two greats, Ernst Lubitsch, George Kukor. But um, the lore on this is that Lubitsch just basically like wrote out like a document telling Kukor exactly what to do. It's like, this is what you do. And so Kukor seems to be kind of the true director of this movie. But you got... Maurice, you know, uh, Chevalier, Chevalier, uh, Chevalier. They, I could say that, but Chevalier, that's, that's easier for me to say. Excellent. And, um, so it does kind of feel like a Lubitsch, right? It's early thirties. We got Chevalier. He's just a big old ladies man again. You know, it's like, uh, Lubitsch is making a, a musical basically about a couple. We got Chevalier and Je- Jeanette McDonald and, you know, they're kind of proposed, you know, they have a happy marriage. But, you know, what if they, you know, danced with another person? You know, you just just the thought. You know, you ever had, yeah, maybe, maybe I want to spend an hour with another person. And they kind of deal with this over kind of like dinner parties and, you know, kind of affluent events like that. Kind of like farces. And you get kind of like these very goofy musical sequences where Chevalier is like, you know, talking directly to camera and being like, I mean, what would you do, guys? You know, a beautiful woman comes up to you, you know, offers you a kiss, you know, you're just going to say no. And, uh, you know, yes. it's kind of, it's, <laughs> well, Eddie, you know, me, I would probably, you know, I'd, I'd do it. You know what Some I mean? Stranger. <laughs> was, I mean, in, in the dark of night, you know, things happen. You know, I think that's, you know, in Lubitsch movies, there's a lot of parties, right? You You're know? far too trusting of women. <laughs> I'll talk about it on my own, but go go ahead. That's true. I got to, you know, I, again, you bring a good contrast to the perspective I'm bringing. <laughs> um, it's, it's a good movie. JT, what'd you, what'd you watch? Um, I watched Dewale Dilhania Lajenga uh, by a, a director that we all have seen a film by. It's uh, Aditya Chopra. Who did Rob uh, Nabana de Jody covered on the Patreon of this very podcast? Cha-ching. You're always good at bringing that up. Yeah. I try my yeah. darndest. I'm out here shucking and jiving, just trying to make a buck. <laughs> just I have uh, my little hat out, like shaking at my sure. like coffer as well. I think like, look, if you want to hear like more of this, but better, probably. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, the Rob Nabon and DeJody episode is like 45 minutes. Like, it's longer than we usually talk about movies. True. Because it's kind of an epic movie. Yeah, no. It's and, freaking epic. <laughs> and uh, I feel like a deep dive. <laughs> uh, Diwale is um, uh, similar. Like, it's a 90s SRK movie. I think one of his early, like, fucking hits. And uh, it's similarly a movie that loves love and is very uh, passionate and beautiful. I think one of the lyrics here, because uh, I really connected to in uh, uh, Rob Nabana de Jody, um, the, the the lyrics of like seeing God in uh, someone else's eyes. Yeah. It's very passionate and sweet and tender, and I think that's a great way to characterize love. And there are lyrics in this, like talking about like when I saw you, I knew what madness love is. And SRK um, is like. Uh, a hip young Indian boy, like second generation, um, who is spent most of his time in Europe. So there's sort of like a, a disconnected like sense to his Indianness, and he meets um, this young girl uh, while he's uh, in Europe, and she is arranged to be married. 
but of course they fall in love. And it's an epic, passionate love where I think it's like there's an interesting push and pull. And I mean, I don't want to speak like uh, like any kind of authority on Bollywood movies, but I think like in a lot of the ones that I've seen, there's a really neat like interplay with like tradition and modernity. Mm-hmm. And in this, like it's kind of like obviously you're on SRK's side and you want to like, no, fuck the arranged marriage. Like these two people, they love each other yeah. and this needs to happen. But like he is like asserting like very traditional like culture. He's like, he's really trad about it. He's like, um, uh, she like proposes to him like let's just elope like my parents aren't like gonna like go for this at all like this is fucked up my dad is not gonna be for this like every his dad tells him like just just fucking elope like that's the the best way to do this and he's like no if I'm doing this it's honorable it's the right way I'm gonna like talk to your father about it and I'm not gonna marry you unless I have his approval so there's that weird like push and pull there of being like somewhat progressive but in a way that like reinforces uh traditional values and just like all the musical sequences are like insane the music is great um and just uh uh, as always from Shara Khan, phenomenal performance and uh, great movie. Nice. Hey, you know, we're all trying to live with that perfect mix of tradition and modernity. You know, that's kind of, you know. That's what this podcast yeah, is all about. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. We're kind of, we're teetering that line. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> what now, about you, Eddie? Well, you know, I want to, you know, question Malcolm's uh, maybe over trust. Uh, have you seen a little film well, called I The mean, Lady <laughs> Eve? Uh, I, ha- I you know what this is this is I a show you a little bit about this you is know, <laughs> this is a good case against me and lust <laughs> now uh, I feel w- like that that's happened Lady Eve's happened to me before wow wow <laughs> Malcolm's just sitting there reading his book that's called are snakes necessary <laughs> one of the funniest props ever uh Preston Sturge's 1941 film the Lady Eve is just I mean for like 19 especially for 40s uh romantic comedies this is kind of the tip of the iceberg for me you got henry fonda and barbara stanwick uh barbara stanwick is you know um like the lady in house of games pretty much and uh her her and her dad are pulling a con on uh henry fonda who's like the son of uh some sort of tycoon and he's just like out on his expeditions in the Amazon and he's just, you know, befuddled by how horny Barbara Stanwyck makes him and how horny uh, for him she appears to be. And then they actually fall in love and, uh, you know, he, he finds out about her trickery and, you know, sw- swears her off for good before she comes back as, you know, the worst British accent ever, the Lady Eve Sidwich or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just so funny the the performances are just like so magnetic and the way Sturges inserts side characters to kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting of like the physical comedy and the gags is great but then when Henry Fonda gets into the physical comedy mode when he's just like falling over a sofa <laughs> and just slipping and falling in front of everyone like I don't know the the goofiness mixed with the kind of earnestness uh, and confusion of his performance and the domineering of Stanwyck is just top of the line. It's uh, as good as it gets for this kind of movie for me. I remember seeing this movie with on, on a double feature at the Arrow with Scarlet Street, the Fritz Lang movie, Ooh. which is like 
that's like those are kind of i mean if you want a case against women that's like that's a very that movie will have you fuming but uh, uh <laughs> i also uh, saw this in the theater i saw it at the new beverly hell uh, yeah. 35 last week and there was also a preceding short by you know him, you love him, the Three Stooges. The first time I've seen those fellows on Thirty Five, and yes, our good friend Shemp was involved. This is a 1953 <laughs> Stooges called Booty and the Beast. That sounds that sounds interesting. <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh, leave. What a great movie. Oh yeah, we'll be right back. Extended clip. We're back on Extended Clip, and before we get into the next movie, I just wanted to clarify something that was brought up in the last segment. We do have bonus episodes on the Patreon, and you will find them at patreon.com slash extended clip and you know I, I feel like a lot of people just land on this page and don't know what to do from there so you sign up for two dollars a month and then in an email you get an rss feed and then you plug that into your pod catcher of choice yeah you, and then you have the feed you run into your mommy's room and you go into her purse you dig deep you find the credit card you punch those numbers in yeah, at this point, you should already have mommy's CC on your Google Play <laughs> wallet. <laughs> but, you know. Steal your parents' credit cards and give give money to us. we know this show is just flooded with teenagers who live with mommy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or if you've already signed up with your own money, sign up with your parents' money. That's true. Like, Double maybe up. they'll they like can join the fun. Yeah. And right now, we're running a little bit of a uh, Patreon promo because we're closing in on $300. We, are, we already said $300 a month. That's when we uh, unleash the commentary track Ooh. to be determined what movie by you, Look, the listeners. We've been doing all the work on this <laughs> on the Patreon. Like it's time the fans stepped in. So, if you want a commentary track, tell everyone you know. Step up. Uh, I'll put the Google <laughs> Forms link uh, for the nominations in the info for this episode. But so nominations will be open until we hit three hundred dollars. Then we are going to choose the best nominees and the ones that got multiple votes and form a poll where the patrons, which means you if you pay or if mommy pays, uh, will get to choose what movie we do a commentary track on. There are already some terrible movies nominated and some long movies. What? What's what's I haven't yeah, even looked I at it yet. What, what's, what's what's number one right now? Uh, oh, I mean, number one with a bullet is uh, uh, Booksmart. That, that was uh, that is the only one that has been submitted twice. <laughs> Come on, we we love women now. That's, that's, that's the whole point target. of this episode. Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm sure that movie's good. There, there's some good <laughs> nominations, and there's some people have tossed in Doctor T, Blue Velvet, Ooh. the 1517 to Paris. What is the, oh? This is a different screenshot. Uh, <laughs> American Sniper. You know, there, there's some there's good some, choices, yeah. and there. Super Size Me is an intriguing choice. I think no matter what happens, <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna have to put Super Size Me into the poll so we can kind of talk about my true passion, fast food. I feel like like those like Morgan Spurlock and Michael Moore documentaries were some of the first movies I remember being interested in. <laughs> you know, you know, no joke. So that's funny. 
Shout out to <laughs> shout out to Morgan Spurlock. Actually, shout out to actually, Morgan Spurlock. Actually, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no? no, no, actually, well, what do no. you do? What do you do? Yeah. Is it disease? Was it? Or, never mind. No. Let's not. It was it. part of. <laughs> yeah. Wait, he he did something. He got me too. Oh, I didn't well, know. I mean, it's for yeah. lies against McDonald's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. It was that Big Mac guy, that guy with the long hair. <laughs> yes, the I know. Big Macs. <laughs> I know the Big Mac stuff. <laughs> Anyway, our, our last bonus episode, which you get for $2 a month, by the way, uh, was on William Friedkin's crime epic, To Live and Die in L.A., and our next one uh, is going to be on Ho Shao Shen's Café Lumiere. Now, uh, it's a French title, but, you know, uh, let's take it easy here. It's set in Japan, so, you know, we're not going too crazy here. <laughs> True, yeah. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're recording that episode <laughs> later. Uh, the next film we're going to talk about, though, our B feature on this Ladies' Night at Extended Clip. Uh, <laughs> ladies' Night, you know, Patreon Ladies' Night, $1 a month. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we should make that an option. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, Don't say it. So more, yeah, people, yeah. So more people will sign yeah. up because <laughs> there are women right. patrons. Like if you have a girlfriend, you know, you know, uh, make she her sign up. It's part of yeah, the deal. Part yeah. of the deal. All about women. The 2008 film by Choi Hark. Um, have you guys seen any like post '90s uh, Choi Hark before this? No, that's why. Yeah, th- that's in part why I picked this because I was curious to see how he how he stepped into the new the new millennia. I I've seen Time and Tide, which is like I think came out in 2000. So there's still kind of like a good gap in between that and this. You know, it's still kind of. I mean, it's still a very different movie than, you know, Time and Tide. And although it's post-handover, Time and Tide is a Hong Kong movie, right? While this is a mainland Chinese movie set in Beijing. I believe so, although I can't remember. Uh, So, 2008's All About Women. Um, Long time coming, this production. It kind of went, like, back and forth between Choi Hark and a Korean filmmaker, Kwok Jae-young, over, like, a decade and a half, beginning when he kind of conceived of the idea of loosely rebooting Peking Opera Blues while he was promoting Once Upon a Time in China in the early 90s. Uh, And then he found out that this Korean filmmaker was developing a very similar film. So they kind of just like rewrote it and retranslated it back and forth over about a decade, changing hands of who was going to make this movie and where it was going to take place. And what it it turned into, a movie about pheromones and being in rock bands <laughs> yeah a very strange movie a potpourri of pop culture and weirdness and of course it's Choi hark uh in like crowd pleasing pop filmmaking mode still just as stylistically bombastic as ever um yeah i mean it, it was also like in, in part like a celebration of uh, the anniversary of uh, Film Workshop, his company, like launching and beginning productions, they wanted to remake a lot of the early films that were made, uh, you know, in in the early days. And so this one, yeah, as we said, is kind of like a loosely uh, Peking Opera Blues related. And I recently watched that film, and you know what? It's great. What do you want me to say? I I don't I think I've seen that movie I don't remember like how does it how does it's, it link it's, to it's, that It's about the ladies It's about okay, three yeah, ladies yeah. Oh, Okay <laughs> is that, that all right I don't have to overthink It's really it's, uh, yeah It's loosely loosely related. I mean this movie in tone I guess it's more related yeah. I guess it's a, it's a goofy comedy as well yeah. I mean what a crazy movie <laughs> This <laughs> is a crazy movie This was one of the more baffling <laughs> movies I've seen in a while in a way that mostly works like it's like 
I, I like it a lot and I, I don't even really have many negative things to say about it, but I wish it's kind of like, I felt like I was catching up the whole time. Like, I, I think, was like, this is a wild ride. I think it's a little too long and I think yeah. it gets a little bit less like stylistically like bombastic as you were saying, like in the like mid point, like when it sort of is picking up the pieces of the plot, I think it loses me a little bit, but the first 30 minutes are like fucking bonkers and he's just like trying all sorts of different shit they're crazy effects like the way like he integrates like texting and stuff on the screen and just uh i don't know it's it's wild so this is the film that should have been called three women uh (laughs) you have uh zhao jun as fan fan who is like a fan fan is well, she's scared of men, to put it, but you know, she she's the nerd. Yeah, she's the nerd. Uh, she works as like a lab tech or something like that, and she's just paralyzed in fear at the touch of a man. She has what she calls selective sclerosis, uh, and just like becomes paralyzed whenever a man touches her. I guess, and uh, they use like special effects to create some good gags out of it too. Um, so she develops this like pheromone-based love potion, just a sticker that you can put on yourself that's full of pheromones, and I guess that's supposed to solve a problem uh you got kitty zhang playing tang lu and she is just you know a girl she she peers out from her skyscraper and looks down at all the the working class plebs uh and and she's just feeling good about her hustle but can she really love that's true yeah Yeah, is she more than just hotness you know yeah (laughs) can she love something that isn't hustle uh and and then we have uh gui lun mei as T. Lung, who is a punk singer and boxer, who is obsessed with a pop star named X to the point where he she takes him as her invisible boyfriend, uh, which is a strange, just a strange kind of thing that happens throughout this yeah. movie where it's kind of on and off whether her invisible boyfriend is with her, uh, whether or not, I guess it's really whether or not Troy Hark wants to sh- shoot like a gag involving that with yeah. the scene or not i guess you're just supposed to kind of accept that he's there otherwise <laughs> <laughs> or she thinks he's there i guess you know she she has these fantasies about this pop star x you know being with her at all times well you know it, it, i think Choi hark's getting down to one of the the great issues about women why do they like these god dang pop stars so much <laughs> you know what i mean you know whatever happens just to a regular guy you know which is weird because <laughs> Tai Lung is in like a punk bit. Like it introduced each of them get like a little title card when their character intro is done. And for hers, it says post hardcore, sure, which is very like, funny. Whoa. It's like she even says something uh, when she's at that like music venue. She's like, no pop, no rap, no dark metal. <laughs> she's just a rock and roll. She just theorist. likes that good old post hardcore. She's, <laughs> she's a regular Fugazi head. <laughs> it's 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 interesting kind of like like it seems at first where they're kind of like it's going to be like one of those movies where it's like all right you know this person has their individual you know subplot or whatever and then there's kind of the decision to like all of it you know they all are like kind of like uh their stories intertwined in in some respects and like there becomes a huge focus on the pheromones oh yeah a lot of fair a lot of fair there's a great pheromone mont like I thought the like I loved the pheromone montage at first, and I still do. But like I thought that was like the amount of pheromone material. Yeah, no, we were I getting thought, in the movie. I thought you would get like a little bit of pheromones in the beginning, and they would like lose it. But it's like 
it is consistently until like the end there are pheromone yeah. gags. Yeah, and for those listening at home that are unaware of the the art of pheromonal uh, uh, <laughs> manipulation, pheromonal manipulation, uh, it is uh, the you know the natural sense you give off to yeah. attract your mate. Yeah, men and women will love a certain stink. Yeah, and you can uh, yeah. if you put it on you. They'll go ape shit. So, you know, if you still don't get the picture, you know, like, let's say you take, (laughs) let's say you take a long walk on a hot day, long walk on a hot day. You come back, you, you just go to the bathroom, you take a piece of toilet paper and you just wipe yourself down, down there. (laughs) You smell that? That's pheromones. (laughs) My God. (laughs) Probably the most disgusting thing ever said on this podcast. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's... That you might be overdue. That might be too much pheromone. You might end up like some of the characters in this movie. A bunch of bunch of people might be chasing you down the street, being like, "Hey, you want to fuck? You want to fuck? You want to? You know what I mean?" So uh, yeah, I, you gotta I, be careful with these pheromones. Yeah. As the movie kind of does, it takes that anti pheromone stance. Like uh, girls, they're all you can't all weaponize your nut fog like that. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. too much. True. It's, this is a life hack that like they they don't give to incels because it's like it's. It'd be madness because it, it, be it works. It works. It works. Literally, too, just like yeah. the the axe commercials from the mid two thousands. Maybe he was making fun of those. Maybe right, those wait. made it overseas. I noticed like there's a new axe commercial where it was like, it was like they still like I think they went off like the like girls will have sex with you if you wore axe for like maybe two years. They found a way to bring it back. It's like a hot girl. She's like, you know, it's like, I think it's something like hot guys get vaccinated or something like it's some sort of like vaccination. So it's like they're like, but they're bringing it back. They're like, we got to bring this the style of ad back. Oh, okay. Oh, so I thought you meant that Axe was bringing it back. You're just saying no Axe. No Axe is bringing it back. Oh, okay. I just in pheromonal news. Wait, so what? what's the vaccination thing? They're, Axe is trying to get you vaxxed. They'll just ads, ads. <laughs> <laughs> I know how confusing that sounds, but the, the push is out there. You got to get everyone involved. Some Com- people will only be reached by Axe body spray. <laughs> Some companies, they're like, they ran out of ad ideas. So they're like, uh, what? just say uh, get vaccinated. I think you'll get like pussy. <laughs> get vaccinated. Just tr- drowning if in it. Biden, 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 you might want to. All right, this is not <laughs> yeah, that this, show. This let's get, let's off get the back rails. to that. Let's get back the to the movie. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Because you. <laughs> The pheromones don't work right away. Uh, there, there's a montage of the trials, the failures, which is always goofy. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like how zany this movie is, and how, despite the fact that it's definitely too long, uh, Choi Hark is moving through it at such a rapid pace. It's almost like there was a three-hour movie that he cut to bits. It's it's crazy that this is still two hours long because it does feel so fast and so minimal with so many of the plot points other than the fact that the pheromone thing as you said feels like something to be brushed aside and then is the crux of the movie eventually yeah and there's just so many like you know it kind of moving at that pace it gets a lot in there and it's willing to go a lot of different places like i like i think this one obviously displays his sense of humor which is just kind of i mean he, he it's 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 very visual he has a very visual sense of humor and it's very kind of just off kilter, I guess. I the two things that come to mind are like kind of like that slow mo bottle, that uh, bottle break to the face that we get. Oh, that, that rules! And and then kind of that scene where like I I don't know like at the restaurant where like the pheromones seem to start working for the first time. And there's and like that's a the pers- first scene where yeah. all three of the main women yeah. are in the same room together too. And there's like there's a, a fight outbreaks and like like there's like she, her face is right to the camera. It looks like she's and she. 
She's getting her, and, and yeah. it's just revealed that she's not. It's and just, one of them is disguised uh, also. Or no, yeah. one of them is a co-worker of uh, Tang Lu, or I guess like one of her employees disguised yeah. as another one too. So it gets into all the, yeah, you know, he's, he's purposely muddling it up a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's saying, I know you're confused. So I'm going to make it more confusing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like Tang Lu is like, she wants to, there's, uh, yeah, because aside from the pheromones, there's a guy. There's a professor who can turn water into fuel. <laughs> yes. and I Tang, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there so many great inventions in this film. I want to live in this world. And, uh, Pussy for everyone. <laughs> unlimited water and gas. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think it's more that he's creating unlimited energy out of water. Yeah. Oh shit. Well, even better. That's and, like a super villain thing. That's like yeah. they would make that the bad guy in a Marvel movie or something. Yeah. And I mean, it's like weird. It's like Tang Lu. Is try they're trying to get this guy, this professor at their company, but she's like she's so used to because in her opening like segment, it's like her uh, best friend's husband, uh, like dips for Tang Lu, and so now she's like I can accomplish things without just being completely fucking hot, and so they get her. Is it like her secretary or like someone lesser in mm-hmm. the company to just like have like the classic headset in? Like do the talking. She's gonna fill the Tang Lu role, and we'll just be told what she's uh, said without. There's no arousal possible. So that's what was going on there. I kind of missed yeah. that part. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very <laughs> strange one, and there's a lot of hijinks. And the hijinks, as you said, visual comedy. There's a lot of like sped up footage too, with yeah. a lot of physical comedy, taking it back to the old classics. You know, <laughs> and, and I think the mix of just like sped up footage of people, you know, falling and you know going all over the place and stuff mixed with the kind of primitive cg effects it, it kind of creates or no, it doesn't create it, it adds to the kind of cavalcade of different stuff going on this film is truly all over the fucking place but in a way that somehow still feels all reined in within being you know, in Choi Hark vision, you know, like yeah. everything from the sped up effects to the very strange CG that represents the pheromones to the pheromones themselves just being like stickers that people put on their skin. Nicotine <laughs> patches. Yeah, it's it's all just like it all fits together in the same world, no matter how disparate it seems, just like the Altman film we described earlier. And you know what ties it all together? The Look, ladies. Well, of course, but. What are they all looking for? Rock and roll. They're looking for love. Oh. They're looking for love. <laughs> well, they all and do rock and roll at the end. <laughs> that's true. I mean, rock hey. At the end. I thought that was the fucking end. Yeah. An hour and 45 minutes into the movie. Uh, oh, so also another thing that Tang Lu's evil corporation is doing is shutting down what's called the musician's ghetto in <laughs> Beijing. <laughs> and they're just like leveling it to build condos. And then like, so they're having one last, uh, I don't think it's for condos. I forgot what it was for, but they're having one last concert. She grabs the bike and she's just like, I know I represent the development that's tearing you all down. And they're all boo. <laughs> and then she's like, but I think we could build something new together. And she busts out like some weird electric, like string instrument. And they all start jamming. together. <laughs> <laughs> and I legitimately thought that would be the end of the movie, but then it's like the cost of fame epilogue. And it's just like, uh, the like back a, to the pheromones. Yeah. It's, yeah, back to the pheromones. it's like a 28 days later spoof with the pheromones, uh, and the men, being zombies it's like so ridiculous (laughs) was was it at the like first restaurant scene when like the the pheromones start working they all like crowd around her and then they like all leave and then in like 
like a very funny gag is like just the like shoes and like someone's wig is left. Yeah, by yeah, yeah. Like all the dentures. guys, all the guys in the <laughs> restaurant have toupees that get swept <laughs> off. <laughs> I this 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 movie is smarter than me, and it's kind of it's kind of got me in a headlock, and I, I'm enjoying it. But it's it's <laughs> it's. I mean, I, I kind of sound so stupid, but like it's just like it's no, just it's, a lot Troy to Hark take is in. Like, well, it's sack tapping you. Yeah, this. exactly. It's like, it's like the fucking you know, it's like Green Snake or the Blade. You see the grand gestures of the plot, but once you try to break down the plot mechanics, True. you kind of get stumbled up on it. And maybe it's because you know he's just tickling our fancy in, in such a stylistic way that it's even hard to ju- just pay attention to the narrative. Yeah, exactly. And I guess maybe with like the Blade, maybe I could. Re- and I still like this movie like a really good amount, but like the blades like way up there for me. And maybe it's just because like kind of in watching action movies already, I'm already kind of like even American movies are like, all right, let's still let's get to the, you know, to the action. Yeah. Right. So if like if the blade is delivering top notch action throughout, it's like that makes sense to me. Whereas this is just, you know, he Soy Hark is doing a comedy. Right. So he's going to do it all the way. He's going to be yeah. super zany. Super wound up, like even more wound up in the way, I don't know, like, you know, the classic screwballs, you know, like bringing up baby, a movie that's like bringing up baby so wound up to the point, kind of a controversial opinion here, where it kind of like, all right, calm down a little bit. Whereas, whereas this is like, it's, it's zipping past me so fast that like, I can't, I can't, I can't be like, you know, I just got like, I get, I guess I got to let it, you know, you're Wiley Coyote and exactly. this movie's the road runner. Exactly. And like, but that's a good experience. I like that. Sorry, you making that analogy made me think of what I watched last week, Under Siege, when uh, <laughs> Gary Busey calls himself uh, the Roadrunner, and so it's like, Roadrunner, he's like, never been caught. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it's Tommy Lee Jones. Sorry, Tommy Lee Jones refers to himself as the Roadrunner. I don't want to, yeah, because an hour and a half later, he's just like listing off cartoon characters when he's really stressed out. He's like, man, Saturday morning, man. <laughs> <laughs> Under Siege is crazy. I love that movie. Yeah, love that. Under Siege crazy. Two is like it's, I need to watch that. It's one. crazy that was, in a different way. Doesn't yeah. it swap out the boat for a train and uh, Tommy Lee Jones for Eric Bogosian? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that it, sounds sick. Yeah, Bogosian is uh, he. He gets to go all out in that. But you know, I guess it's uh, you know, uh, all, it's no all about women. Uh, so oh, I. <laughs> I'm gonna give all about women three and a half bullets. I think it's very strong, very funny, and very confounding. What about you guys? Yeah, three and a half bullets here. Very yeah, all the hallmarks of a great filmmaker. Insane style, like kind of unpredictability, and you know it goes. Maybe it's a little too long. It, maybe it's a little bit messy. But I like all those aspects of it. You know, even like I wouldn't change anything about it. Of course, you know what I mean. It's like. You know, uh, you know, I'm not trying to play producer here. You know, take 20 minutes out. Let's make this more clear. Obviously, I just want to see him work. And you know, for welcomes the Chinese Communist Party censors <laughs> stripping down Choi Hark's vision. God, I wish it was the 90s Hong Kong again. <laughs> well, I hope to get into that position one day. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, after your turn in Bollywood as an actor, you'll be a film censor for the Chinese Communist Party. White Bollywood. They just call me White Bollywood down there. Um, <laughs> Damn, I have so oh, many white. fucking ideas, dude. I have so many, so many things I got to do in my life. It's it's overwhelming. But uh, JT, what do you what do you think? Oh, what do you fuck. think about the movie? I'm giving it three and a half bullets as well. It's it, this shit's crazy, man. That's all I have to say. Watch, hey, <laughs> okay. Fine by me. Don't watch this if you're high. <laughs>
wow. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it'll be too confusing. It's too crazy. Well, I never watch movies while I'm high anyway, that's, so. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> that's <Sam>. insane. <laughs> Extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can email us for our final segment of every podcast. We love to gather around the campfire and read off the emails and tell scary stories about email. <laughs> Wow. Do you have any scary emails this week? Yes. This one's from Margot, and it says, Meet the Romare guy. Dear Extended Clip Boys, GQ Magazine recently published an article called Meet the Romare guy about a fashion trend inspired by Eric Romare's films, which is all about looking good while hanging out on vacation. That part is in quotes. According to the article, Romare guys are apparently chill Lotharios. <laughs> Whose whole way of living is aspirational. I'm not so sure Romare would particularly want guys modeling themselves after the men in his movies. I certainly don't. But that's beside the point. Meet the Romare guy. My question is, have you noticed any of these so-called Romare guys out and about? And if you had to pick, which Romare guy would you be? Love the show. Thanks, Margo. I'll tell you, I'm looking at one right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, this no. motherfucker. It's I like, Yeah, no. My, I can definitely dress like a Romare character a lot of the time. And I, act like one. Uh, whoa. Whoa, whoa. The good ones. The, yeah, the nice... <laughs> the ones that are nice and respect women and don't do anything wrong. True. Yeah, um, JT just walked right off the set of The Aviator's Wife. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. Uh... Is you know what is that is that article real? They had I think they actually had me for a second. I thought the Meet the Romare guy article was real because if I have two very different responses, if uh, it is real, it's real. Yeah. Okay, July fifteenth, twenty twenty one. Meet the Romare. Who guy. is that for? <laughs> and the the header image is the Claire's knee image where he's looking at her knee. Well, that's I don't know. <laughs> I don't what know what are they trying like to say that about guy? these Romare guys? That's that's a crazy fucking article. I can't. I really can't get over that. Um, Hold on. I have to. Uh, God. Yeah. The, it's it's the, article the time. opening line of this GQ article. The sexiest part of Love in the Afternoon, French director Eric Romare's classic infidelity movie, is not the scene where Chloe and Frederick almost consummate their fl- flirtatious relationship. No, it's the one where Frederick buys a turtleneck. And so I can kind of see where this article is going to oh go from there. Oh, my fucking God. Uh, back to the email. Who wrote it so we could shame him? No. <laughs> <laughs> name names. No. Uh, <laughs> it's a woman. Let's lay uh, off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, of course. <laughs> Meet the Romare guy. I thought this was Gentleman's Quarterly. <laughs> I would not want to be any Romare guy. Let's just say that. Um Next week on the podcast, Malcolm, do you have a double feature for us? No. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We announced it in the mill segment, <laughs> We're man. doing old next week. Old is gold. And uh, we might talk about some general Shyamalan stuff, but uh, we're talking old. I can't wait. So, see you next week. Let's go. Cool.